The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Hill and I'm joined today by Katie Balls and Fraser Nelson. Now Katie, it's three days after they got those by-election results and I think the one that received the most attention was Uxbridge and Ryslip. Uh, tell us about what's happened over the weekend. There's been a lot of reports about tensions between Sadiq Khan and Keir Starmer on the ULES issue. What's really happening? So we quickly saw on Friday when the Tories managed to narrowly hold on to Uxbridge that a, a public blame game started to play out on the Labour side. And what was interesting is if you look at, I suppose, some of the recriminations on the Tory side over the fact they lost two or three, a lot of that's been coming from backbenchers agitating, so saying, you know, look at this. Whereas this was very much started by the Labour leadership. You had Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner making a point that they blame the results specifically on ULES and uh, saying that that means that there's lots of thinking to be done, particularly if you are Sadiq Khan, the London mayor. And... There are two schools of thought. Um, The school of thought uh, held by some in the leader's office is that the narrow defeat in Uxbridge is quite useful for Keir Starmer because therefore you can push through um, this message of the need for discipline, for um, being quite sceptical of some of the green policies and um, therefore Keir Starmer is a good place at the National Policy Forum this weekend to face down Unite the Union and some of the grassroots members by saying um, we cannot you know, make more spending commitments and so forth. I think the slight hole in this theory is are you seriously saying Keir Starmer would have been in a weaker position had his party won both by-elections? I just think that that would have been more sense. We're on our way to victory. Our plan is working so far. Keep going. So there's always an opportunity um, in any scenario, I think, as uh, Boris Johnson once said, you know, no disasters, only opportunities. And therefore, there is an opportunity here to use it to say, for all those making this side of the debate, it's time to listen to us. But it's quite clear it would have been better for Keir Starmer if he, I think he had won both because also it would have spooked the Tories more and therefore we're in a situation this weekend where Labour infighting is as much of a story as Tory infighting and that means you might be trying to make a point on the green agenda but you're still seeing that disunity which isn't particularly helpful. Um, in terms of I suppose where, where the fracturing is you have some interesting briefings where there are some reports saying oh Sadiq Khan is now going to rethink ULES. There's obviously some tinkering you could do in terms of um, who it affects. Can you do a bit more support from those who are worse affected? But it seems to be coming from the Labour leadership that there was a rethink. It's not actually in the power of the Labour leadership to make a decision on that policy. And Sadiq Khan plans to stick with it for now. I think there's also a view in City Hall that this, by the time this policy comes in, if you then fast forward to the next to the mayoral election next year, they think it will be old news. Now, this calculation could be proven wrong, um, but effectively, um, it's almost as though it was particularly bad timing for a by-election in Uxbridge just before the policy was introduced. But when you come to a mayoral election next year, they think it will be neutralised. Now, let's see what happens there, but therefore you have Sadiq Khan versus Keir Starmer. And I think it leans into the fact that Keir Starmer has struggled with... Um, 
various mayors. Obviously, you have uh, the one mayor who's actually been told he cannot stand in the future. We have Andy Burnham, who often goes against the policy. Sadiq Khan and Andy Burnham both spoke against the free school meals um, policy by the Labour leadership recently when they uh, they said it should be extended. Labour said you had to think about the money. So I think this is going to be a recurring theme. Yeah, and uh, talking of that phrase, uh, there's also the issue of Scotland as well. Anna Sawa's come out and criticised Keir Starmer's stance on the two-child benefit cap. Yeah, I think this is fascinating. The Scottish Labour Party, as always, to an extent, wanted to draw dividing lines with the, um, the Westminster Party. Uh, ever since um, Henry McLeach's day, when they wanted to go for the full Sutherland Commission, um, care for the elderly, defining themselves against Tony Blair, rejecting Blair's school reforms, etc. Uh, because the Scottish Labour Party find themselves under attack from the SNP and they want to defend themselves on that basis. The, the big question was now that Starmer's back in charge and Starmer very much needs Scottish Labour to get him between 15 and 20 seats of the next general election. Without those Scottish seats and significant numbers of them, he isn't going to make it into number 10. So what will the relationship be like? It seems it's going to be a mildly antagonistic one yet again. Um, what the SNP is now attacking the Tories on is basically is, you know, the, the, the idea that if you have more than two kids and you're in benefits, you're not going to get benefits for a third child. Starmer had suggested he drop that. Now he says he wouldn't. And Labour is saying that he should. Now, this is a welfare issue, by the way, reserved to Westminster. So this isn't something upon which, you know, they might say Scottish solutions for Scottish problems. This is a UK-wide one. So we now see a fascinating situation where there is tension between the Scottish Labour Party and Keir Starmer over two childs and benefits and between Keir Starmer and the London mayor, Sadiq Khan, because Starmer wants him to drop Ule's expansion or pause it, and, and Khan, who's got a brick out called Breathe, very much making this his personal manifesto, he has no um, mind to back down at all. So we can see tensions, but I see these oddly, as a sign of strength rather than that of weakness. I think that the Labour Party is now moving psychologically from a period where they've gone through the motions of being in opposition but didn't really expect to govern, to a situation now where they are not only expecting to win the next election, but wondering how the first year or second year is going to pan out. So Anna Sarwar, of course, he'll have his Scottish Parliament elections in sort of year one, year two of the Keir Starmer government, so he'll have to be thinking right now about how he's going to differentiate. So the the fact that these tensions are emerging, I think, demonstrates just how much more real the prospect of power is in the minds of the leading figures of the Labour Party. And also, thanks to devolution, those leading figures, sure, there's one in Westminster, but there's also one in Edinburgh and there's one in London. And Katie, on that point about getting ready for government, we saw the meeting of the National Policy Forum for Labour this weekend. Uh, obviously, the Labour leadership came out and people at GMB came out and extolled all what went on. But others, there were more critical voices involved, like Unite the Union. Tell us what happened there. Yeah, so I think we've had some interesting discussions about the Policy Forum on this podcast previously when we've had John McTernan on and saying, you know, Everyone says, oh, this is, shows Labour so much more democratic than the Tories. But actually, a lot of the stuff is agreed quite quickly. And then people um, head to the pub was was the word. Now, there were some tense moments, I think, uh, on workers' rights, um, some unhappiness from GMB, but particularly from Unite. In the end, it was all signed off and, um, you know, with no new spending commitments. So that is a win for Keir Starmer. And I think regardless of what happens in the by-elections, that was always very much the plan for this. Um Tellingly, Unite did uh, has refused to sign off the entire document, citing unhappiness with the Labour leadership. Now, this doesn't re- really affect it, um, but it goes back to something I wrote about in The Spectator a few weeks ago, which is if you think 
it's important to differentiate the affiliated unions from the non-affiliated. So therefore, it's much easier for the shadow cabinet minister to um, throw some shade at Mick Lynch and the, um, when it comes to st- strikes by train drivers um, because they are not affiliated, therefore they have less influence, they don't have votes, than it is to criticise um, policies that were all, you know, uh, interventions by Unison, Unite and GMB. But of the three big affiliated unions, Unite was very much, uh, you know, the union of the of the month or in vogue, if we can say that, um, during the Jeremy Corbyn era. Len McCluskey, who was then the General Secretary, played a really key role. They're now by far the most hostile. And it, it means that Unison, probably, the f- which was the first big union to back Kostama as leader, is seen as the most loyal, but still has some issues, of course. Um, and then you have GMB, which as a result has benefited and is now very influential um, from the fact that Unite's gone further away. So I don't think from... So there were grumbles this weekend um, when it comes to the grassroots and some figures in the union movement, but it was, generally speaking, um, a victory for Keir Starmer, but too much in the way of fireworks. And looking at that document, Fraser, I mean, things like self-identification for transgender individuals, that's been watered down. There seem to be very few areas like you, Les, uh, where the Conservatives can open up some clear blue water with the with Keir Starmer's um, party in the next election. What exactly are they going to fight the election on, given how Labour seem convinced to avoid these wedge issues as much as possible? Well, it's strange. I mean, wedge issues is, is a strange phrase in a way. I mean, the, the, the Times have a story recently saying how Sunak's going to come up with divisive issues at the next election. Well, you know, of course, this is what elections about. You've got issues where the two parties disagree. Therefore, there is a division. Um, democracy is about choice. So, uh, of course, you know, both the Tories and Labour are going to want distinctive policies that resonate with their values. Sunak's problem is that, of course, he's adopted so many Labour policies over the years that he's really going to struggle. If you look around um, the way that there is a revival in conservative movements across Europe right now, generally people are wanting to row back from the kind of um, the peak of the net zero movement, which I would put at about about probably the COP summit, I would say, was the peak. And now you're seeing people right over Europe coming up with modifying factors, trying to compromise with them. Cost of living issues isn't happening so much in in, in, in London. Um, but the Conservatives, having been in government throughout this and having gone with the prevailing wind on lots of things, especially, by the way, lockdown, the staggering amounts of debt that took, and the high taxes that has lumbered people with forever, forevermore, I think, we're, we're forever going to have a higher... Um, national debt and therefore higher taxes as a result of borrowing four or five hundred billion during lockdown. It is difficult really to come up with oppositional policies. One of the depressing things about last week was seeing how the Tories did best when they were effectively being in opposition to ULIS, saying, oh look at Sadiq Khan, he's putting this down, this is terrible. Now, it's the Tories ought after 13 years to have a record of government worth boasting about. And if they can't do that, then I think they they will struggle. So these, you know, you'd think they'd be able to build by now some some election issues, call them wedge issues, if you will, that are based on things that they've managed to deliver. Um, Sunak's five pledges, of course, that was intended to be his uh, creed de cour uh, throughout this year. You didn't hear it discussed much at the by-elections. Nobody's really talking about the five issues because they've become five liabilities. Now, none of them going particularly well. So I would say that Sunak's chances of winning the next election, I would have put them at 30% 
earlier on this year, I'd say they're now down to about 10, 15%. I think we are seeing some dividing issues opening up. Something I write about in the magazine this week is obviously the change of gear we're expecting in the autumn. And the five priorities, Fraser is right, have become very difficult. But it's almost trying to neutralise some issues that were already problems. And then you try and add to that once you get people to listen to you again. Now, it may not work, but that was always the thinking behind it. And therefore, if you're thinking about what are the dividing lines that we might see, A, in uh, conference speeches, but particularly in the King's speech, Um, green energy is a key dividing line from the view of the Tories you're already seeing Keir Starmer having to row back when it comes to North Sea and oil partly because of pressure from Anasaba but I would say particularly because of pressure of GMB and therefore can they go further on it and I think that's something you will be seeing more of and then also today you've had Rishi Sunak not getting into or not giving a definitive answer when it comes to the 2030 ban on new petrol and diesel car sales the government minister out on the uh, airways also refusing to do so and i think it's um you can see a world where even if the labor rowing back they're starting from a position where they are quite far ahead of um tories and in how much they are pledging on their targets so you can see if the tories row back a little bit more that will still lead to a point where the two sides are quite far apart thank you katie thank you fraser and thank you for listening to coffee house shots